when I found you. I saw raw, untamed power. And beyond that, something truly special. Hello everybody and welcome to Is It Yours, the movie review program where we place movies up against the Jaws scale to see where they land. I'm Paul Spataro and uh, today we're looking at Star Wars The Last Jedi. And when it comes to Star Wars, there are there's a small group of people who I would uh, consider to be my Star Wars people that I want to get on the show. But uh, I'm bringing back my Rogue One interviewer. Uh, who's, I guess, going to be my regular Star Wars friend. <laughs> Will you be my Star Wars friend, Scott? Be my, we're Star Wars buddies. Wow. <laughs> so, so, well, welcome aboard, Scott Rifen, for a uh, long overdue appearance on the show. Yes, it is long overdue. We've, You and I have, I mean, let's be honest, we've chatted about coming on. But there hasn't been, there just hasn't been the opportunity. So, here we are. Yeah, well, let's, I mean... Between this show and, and Back to the Bins, I think in the last year or so, you've had many invitations to come on. Oh, yeah. Tons. And, and <laughs> I don't think it's ever been a lack of desire to come on. The, the biggest problem is, more often than not, the night when I'm recording has been a night where you have to do your trivia show or yeah, trivia contest. that's true. So instead, we decided, let's let's get up at 6.30 in the morning on a Saturday. I feel like I'm doing a podcast with Andy Leyland. Well, that's, you, that's <laughs> get why... Get up at 6.30 this... to do a podcast. And, and that's what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> and the, re the reason is, uh, for the most part, this is when I would record uh, Listen to the Prophets with Andy and, and Bill. Mm, okay. But, but, but Andy had uh, holiday obligations. 
that kept him from recording today, so I had a free morning, and I know, if nothing else, that you are used to getting up at this time, or you're used to being up at this time. You're used to getting up way early than this. Yeah. So I figured it shouldn't be too much of a hassle, and uh, I threw it out, and you said, well, if I have to. (laughs) (laughs) Well, see, you got to understand how I operate. Because, you know, I do, I get up at like 3.30 every day to go to work, you know, and uh, that's all well and good, and everybody says, oh, you must go to bed early because of that, and it's like, no, because the world doesn't adjust to me. In other words, if a television show is on, or a sporting event is on, or you have a family, the family's not going, yes, we'll make the house dark and quiet for you at 7.30 <laughs> so you can go to, that's not happening. So, yes, and, and, and when you have a day off, I'm sure Jadine says, no, no, you stay in bed all day, and I'll yeah. just do stuff by myself. No, but but I, Saturday is kind of my let's sleep in day, because what I do is basically I go, I go you know, three, four hours of sleep a night, uh, maybe five on a good night, and then Saturday and Sunday I just kind of crash. Mm-hmm. And so this is actually crash day. So while you say I'm used to it, I'm kind of used to it, but uh, not that used to it on Saturday, so... Well, I'm sorry to interfere in your beauty sleep. That's a, well, as you can see, my beauty is rapidly fading, and I think it's because of the lack of sleep. <laughs> just, <laughs> I'm just thinking your, your beauty is rapidly fading. Fading. You must have seen. You had to see Scott ten years ago. He was a, <laughs> that was a hell of a man ten years ago. <laughs> now it's just a lot of man. Oh, uh, that's that's the club many of us belong to. Unfortunately. <laughs> So, uh, we're here today to talk about The Last Jedi. And I'm gonna, and now, have you seen it once or more than once at this point? Well, I've seen it uh, twice at the theater. And then I've, I've sneaked a couple of other little viewings here and there. Through, through uh, sinister means? Through the, through the magic of, of magic. Oh, there you go. Yeah, magic has brought me a, a, a copy of it and... Uh, I'll probably go back to the theater a couple more times just to check it out, just because I want to. I want to. I want to soak it all in. I want to be fair. I want to give it as many chances as possible, and uh, I want to. I want to have arguments with people about it. And uh, and uh, between you and me, I don't know when, when is this episode coming out. Uh, I'm going to probably put this one on the fast track, so I would say mid January. Oh, mid-Jan- okay, well, by then, I will have already done a commentary for the film, a commentary track. So, uh, will that, that's will one that have already been available online? Yeah, it should be available uh, on the My Star Wars Story feed, probably the Dinner for Geeks feed, because it ain't doing anything right now, and um, probably on the Geek Out Loud feed as well as Steve Glosson. Steve Glosson and I have gotten into a tradition. I don't know if I've told you about this or not, uh, but like you know, you and I chatted Rogue One, and now we're chatting here again. Uh, when when Force Awakens was in theaters, and it had been in theaters about a month, I went to see it again for the, you know, I, I got to the point on weekends where it'd be like 9 o'clock at night, there'd be a 10 o'clock show, and I'd say, hey, honey, you want to go see Force Awakens? And she'd no, I don't want to go see Force Awakens. And I'd say, well, do you want to do anything? And she'd go, no, I want to just go to sleep. And I'd go, okay, I'm going to go see Force Awakens. And so I would go to the movies. And after one of those, it just hit me like a bolt of lightning. I said, you know, this movie's still in theaters. Wouldn't it be great if somebody did a commentary track on a podcast for a film that's still in theaters, that you can take your earbuds with you to the theaters and listen to the track while you're seeing the movie on the big screen. And so I called Steve up and I said, what do you think about this? Steve Glosson, my, uh, my buddy from my Geek Out Loud. And uh, Steve said, yes, yes, let's do this. And I said, we'll be the first ones to do that. He goes, well, I don't know. 
I don't know. I think the Rebel Force Radio guys are are plotting that as well, but I don't know that, so I have no idea about that, but let's do it. So we recorded it, and I'm like, this is going to be the first one ever. And then the day before we put ours out, Rebel Force Radio guys put theirs out. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that was crushing. So, so you know, you and Steve, I'm sure, was far superior to what they put out anyway. Oh, sure. No, I mean, look, look the Rebel Force Radio guys are aces. But, I don't uh, care. <laughs> I'm, st- I'm still siding with you guys. Well, I know you guys. I like you guys. Good enough for me. It's well, like they, having friends to watch the movie well, with. Yeah, they're, no, they're good guys, though. But uh, the uh, when Rogue One came out, I said, you know, we're going to beat them. I want to get them out. So as soon as we could uh, arrange it, Steve and uh, Shaz Bazaar from uh, Techno Retro Dads and I sat down and did a commentary for that that film as well. It was interesting because I didn't have... At the time, I didn't have a mixer. It's one of the reasons I bought a mixer. And we did that commentary, each of us holding an iPhone, talking into a recording app, and then I pieced them together after that. How funky is that? That's that's way too much editing. You know <laughs> and uh, so after that, I went, you know what? I'm buying a mixer. And... Uh, so anyway, so th- it's become a tradition that Steve and, and Shaz and I will do a, a commentary track, and that should be available right now on any of those feeds. Uh, Dinner for Geeks, Geek Out Loud, uh, uh, My Star Wars Story, and it'll be... Well, I'm going to ask you to, to, to do us all a favor, because I think we do. We, most of us would probably want to listen to it. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, put, a, put a link to it on the Is It Yours Facebook page when, when you do post it. Okay. Which which will be in the past when somebody's listening to this. That's right. I love time travel. It will already be there. Yes. So, so you can look great. now and see it. Wait a minute. I'm looking now. I don't see it. No. Oh, <laughs> not you. The other you. Oh, okay. The third wall you. Or the I, I definitely wall would like to see it again in the theaters before it comes out. Wouldn't you also like to have an expert voice guiding you through the film? I think, to, and I'm being totally honest here, I'm not being facetious, I think that's something I would like the third view. <laughs> because, you know, just to give the background on it, yeah. as, as we're sitting here today, I saw the movie for the first time last night, less than 12 hours ago, and we, and we were talking about this before we started to actually record the episode. Mm. Uh, so I feel like I still need time to process this to really get my hand my, my handle on it, uh, and I'm going to give I'm giving my initial thoughts today on the show, but I don't know if these are going to be my thoughts if you talk to me six months from now. No, yeah, and I and I told you I don't know that my thoughts in this movie are going to stay the same in the next ten years. You know, it just it, there's just so much there, and I will tell you I've seen it twice as I said theatrical. I saw it ten o'clock Thursday night of the opening, and then I saw it ten o'clock the next morning that Friday morning. I will also tell you this, and I don't want to get too heavy into the story yet, but. I the second time because I was so tired I fell asleep during the Canto Bite sequence, and it was a better movie. Hmm. I'm just saying. I enjoyed it more the second time around, but I did not have to sit through Canto Bite because I was dozed off. Well, honestly, uh-huh. now my my son has seen it twice. He uh-huh. saw it earlier in the week, and then he went with us last night. And for background, anybody who doesn't know, my son's 20 years old, so he's not you know a little kid. Uh, and that was one of the sequences he said he didn't really care for. <laughs> so no, so you're, you're falling in line with that. Um, but, you know, to, just to kind of finish the thought is, I think I'd like to see it a second time without commentary 
to kind of crystallize my own thoughts a little bit more mm-hmm. before I li- before I watch it with somebody else telling me their thoughts. Yeah, no, I think that's fine. So that's why I'm saying the third viewing is probably when I'd most like to have your commentary. Available. Okay. Well, well, it'll be there for that. Yeah, and there's no question there will be a third viewing at some point. I mean, sure. That's not an, an issue. The question is, does that third viewing come in, in, in an actual theater, or does it come in a home theater? Hmm. Well, it'll be there for you no matter what you decide. There you go. So what was your build-up to this before you saw it? You know, what, what, how, did, how did you prepare for it? What were your in- anticipations? Or what was your anticipation? You know, it's funny you say that, because I was thinking this morning, it was like, you know, because I like the film. I mean, you know, I'll say that straight up. Uh, but then you, you ask yourself, are you, do you like the film because you spent, you know, a couple hundred dollars in merchandise to support the film before it came out? You know, are you obligated more? Are you kind of more on the hook because you've spent money buying T-shirts and that kind of thing and, and walking around talking about it? And, you know, I, and you know, you know I've got a Rogue One Rogue, right? Mm-hmm. The Nissan rogue yeah that's cool driving around in my at least rogue. in my mind it's cool <laughs> oh i love everybody it. else <laughs> i love it i love that car i've never owned a new car and actually we went to a star wars celebration in april and uh which was funny because two true freaks uh, fellow podcaster gene hendrix uh was on vacation with his family down there but not planning on going to celebration so we kept trying to figure out how we would meet up and it never happened it's sad. it's sad when you get that close and you don't manage. Well, we were, apparently, at one night, we were in the same park at the same time and somehow missed each other, But uh, which is frustrating because I, I think Gene's great because I correspond with Gene almost every day, and then here it is. We got an opportunity to meet up in person. That nah, didn't happen. But uh, so we were down there, and uh, my buddy Josh Licht, who is a great podcaster in and of himself, uh, he's a pastor down in Florida, and, uh, I, the, you know, there's 70, 80,000 people down there and I keep running into Josh and I'm like, okay, so he's, Josh had one of those, the rogue one edition Nissan rogue. And so I kept as a joke, I kept saying, Hey, Josh, how about that car? And that great car. Tell my wife how great that car is. Tell my wife, cause she'd love to hear how great the car is. And he would just gush. Oh, it's the best. Oh, it's so wonderful. Oh, I love it. And because um, she wasn't hearing that from you. Well, yeah, exactly. So I just every time I'd see him, I'd say, "Hey, tell my wife how wonderful the car is." So we came back. I immediately got strep. Like the day we got back from celebration, I wound up having symptoms, and so I was kind of sidelined for the next week. And uh, as I started to come out of it, some days later, um, I started looking at the bank account for the first time since we'd been back from the trip, and I started noticing all these money started shifting around from one account to another account, and large sums were being transferred in and large sums are being transferred out and i was like what the hell is going on here so i went and woke my wife up i was like what are you doing to our money she's like we'll talk about it tomorrow i'm like no we won't we'll talk about it today <laughs> and she's like well, we, can we talk about it tomorrow i'm like no and she said i was just trying to rearrange the budget so we could get you that car i was like oh okay we'll talk about it tomorrow <laughs> so uh yeah so we went, we went never mind got it. yeah like, yeah what, what are you doing I mean, she was i don't know what she was doing she was trying to do right by you well, apparently you unfeeling animal yeah secretly that's the thing you got to communicate i'm in the communications business 
Um, so, uh, yeah, we went the next week and got that car. I love it. I drive it around proudly. Uh, I got a, I got a, I've never even thought I would ever want a customized license plate. I have a customized license plate now. What, what does it say? The only, the, that's the only problem is that, like, I get myself in these situations where I do things that I think are cool and nobody else understands them. No, no, no. They understand them. They just don't think they're cool. <laughs> let's, let's be realistic. No, they really don't. I, I, I'm, I'm in that same world. <laughs> they don't. It's like now, because I got... You, you've seen the trailer for Rogue One, right? Yes. I got... My license plate says, I rebel. Okay. Like the trailer. I think that's cool. Okay, but everybody... <laughs> but I understand like, where the average person does. Well, the, other, the average person is going, what is that? I like, I rebel? Yeah, I don't yeah. get that. It's like, no, you can say that the word R-E-B-E-L. There's different pronunciations for that. Well, it's like, I rebel? You're like, no, it's not I rebel. Why would it Why would it be I rebel? So. <laughs> well, it's like I robot. Yeah, I robot. But you know what? If somebody understood the reference to I robot, then they'd know I rebel. Ooh. Nice. Nice. And you can't, you know, I don't know if you can put punctuation marks on these things or not, but there would be a comma. In my world, there would be a comma if it were iRebel. So, and the other thing is when you go apply for the, because they want to make sure you don't put something dirty or nasty on your license plate. When you apply for the vanity plate, they actually ask you, what is what does that mean? So I wrote on the thing, I rebel. What does that mean? Well, it's a quote from a movie. Well, it's not really a quote from a movie because it wasn't in the movie. It's a quote from a trailer for a movie. Oh, never mind. Just forget the whole thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, anyway. I, yeah, so I parade around in my Rogue One car. So I'm, like, heavily invested in the wars. You know, always have been. You know, I'm... I'm uh, I'm not going to be one of those people that pretends to say I was there at every single movie on opening day because Star Wars was out for two months before it even made it to my town when I was a kid. Uh, Empire had been out for a few weeks before it made it to my town. So, But everything else I did see opening day. That's good enough. I mean, I've, I, I'm content on that I've seen every theatrical release in the theater. Yeah. I don't, I don't need... Uh... I don't need to have done it opening day. I'm okay with that. Oh, I'm. I, I like to be as first in line as I can be, but you know, if 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 I hadn't gotten to see things in the theater, there, there, you know, I would be disappointed. I mean, I guess I could live with not having seen Clone Wars in the theater. Oh yeah, I did see Clone Wars in the theater. Oh yeah, never mind. Yeah. Did you see it opening day? Yeah, I did. I did. And I was I was alone. No, I took my kids to see it. Well, I mean, I had my son with me, but I mean, there was really not a lot of other people in that theater. Yeah, it was It was not a crowded theater. No. Oh, well. What well, do you that, that, that was That was the least of my uh, theater-going experiences. So, <laughs> you know, it, it's... Just before we get into the, the movie, uh, I think about... I had uh, Zaki Hassan on to discuss Planet of the Apes uh, movies. Mm-hmm. And we talk about expectations and how much you're invested in, in movies and things. And he mentioned that when he saw Phantom Menace, uh, and he's a big Star Wars guy, uh, that he, you know, he, 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 it's like he had to convince himself he liked it. You know, people would say, you know, what do you think of it? He's like, ah, it was good, you know, like mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And then eventually, you know, he came to the conclusion, you know, I really don't like this as much as I thought I did. Mm. But it was almost like that he felt like he had to like it. it was, he was required yeah. at some level to like this movie. 
And I do think that is a phenomenon that happens. Uh, expectations play so dramatically in movies in general. Uh, you know, where you, uh, you know, if, if you have too high expectations, you're more likely to end up being disappointed with mm-hmm. the movie. Whereas if your expectations are lower, it doesn't take so much to satisfy you. Yeah. But also, if you're vested in the movie to a great extent, you just want to like it so much that you might convince yourself you like something that you don't. No, uh, and it, yeah. it's, it's just an interesting phenomenon. And I think, to some extent, that plays into what I was saying, that I need a little time to digest this and see where it lands. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked a little bit on uh, on bins. Uh, we have a Star Wars score that's... I'm not sure exactly. We got about halfway through recording it, and then something came up, so we got to finish it later, and then it'll be up there. But uh, we started recording, obviously, before I saw the movie, before any of us saw the movie. It hadn't been out yet. And uh, I talked about how the level of expectations with these movies has changed. And it's almost like the older the movie gets, the more that people have to find a reason to not like it. Mm. You know, the the original trilogy will we'll set aside. The, uh, you know, the, the second set came out. Initially, people liked it. And then, you know, over time, they were like, oh, this is crap. We don't like this anymore. Then we, we, you know, took forever, but we got The Force Awakens, and it went from the second trilogy is too different from the original trilogy, and we don't like it because it, it doesn't have that same feeling. So then The Force Awakens came out, and everybody says, oh, it's got the same feeling as the original trilogy, yep. and, albeit somewhat derivative, but that's fine. Uh, everybody seemed to love it when it first came out, or, or the, mm-hmm. the overwhelming thought process was that people loved it. And then over time, it got to, well, it's too derivative. It's too re- repetitive of what we got in in, uh, in, in A New Hope. And, I, and I, don't, I don't really care for this anymore. Then Rogue One came out. Oh, that's different. Everybody loves it. Then a little time goes by. Oh, that was boring. <laughs> you know? It, it's like you, you can't win. Yeah. So with, and, and I do think there's just kind of this thought process of, from a lot of people, that the original trilogy is the all-time classic series that I saw as a child. And I wasn't a child, I was a young teenager at the time. But, for most people, I saw it as a child, I grew up with it, it's just, you know, it is the gold standard. And if they come out with a new movie that doesn't meet that gold standard, then I have to find a reason to dislike it at some point. I think there's a thought process that way, and I think that thought process is unfair. It's funny you say that, because, you know, after the second time I saw the film... I went to my car and I started just kind of having my thoughts. I really started putting my thoughts together on the film. And one of the first things that hit my mind was this trilogy will never measure up to that original trilogy. And I don't know if at some point in my mind I had it that it would, but it won't. But I think that's an unfair standard. You're saying, uh, you know, for you, this this is my favorite trilogy of all time. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's your favorite movie of all time, but I would admit, I suspect it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this this is my favorite of all time, and if they make a new one and it isn't at that level, mm-hmm. I'm not going to care for it. Or I'm no, not I didn't, no, it. see, see and, but, I don't, but, and I'm not saying you're. But you're lumping me. No, I'm, and and I'm, I am I'm using you more hypothetically than in reality. Oh, this is the fake me. Okay. Yeah, fake fake Scott. But I think there's people who think that way, and I yeah. think it's unfair. And then I also think there's the thought process, and we and I mentioned this too that you know like. Where, where younger kids, kids much younger than me, 
kind of you know roll their eyes that I turn into that old man, that that, that old annoying man who walked twenty miles to school, you know, <laughs> back uphill both ways. Yes. Uh, there's, you know, it's like you know, well, Star Wars was more special because it came out in our childhood, and then I had to wait you know twenty years for another one. Had to wait three. Uh, yeah. Now, now it's every year we're getting another one. In fact, we're getting Young Han Solo in what six months? So they say, yeah. So, it's diluting it somewhat, and and I don't think there's any argument that it is diluting it somewhat. You're going to have a much bigger pool to pick from, mm-hmm. uh, as far as what your favorites are. But to expect them to to say, well, I don't want them to do that because I only want them to come out with a movie once every ten years because it'll be special. I don't think that's fair either. Yeah, I, I think you know, I think the, the standard's got to be. As a Star Wars fan, and I'm not a manic Star Wars fan, I'm just a Star Wars fan. But as a Star Wars fan, if they come out with a movie once a year, once every two years, and I and, and I walk away from it saying, that was entertaining and I enjoyed it, mm-hmm. that's got to be good enough. To me, and this is my argument, this isn't necessarily that everybody else is going to agree with that, but that's, to me, that's the way I look at it. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't disagree with that, uh, but again, it just, it, you are... Look, they're continuing that story. They made the choice to continue that story. And so they're going to be compared to that story. And, you know, I don't think it's unfair to compare it to the original trilogy because that's that's the mark they're aiming for. Yeah. Well, I, there's a difference between comparison and, uh, and, and you know, just damning it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, to to say, well, you know, I have no problem with you sit there, you know, each new one comes out and you say, okay, if I put them in order from best to worst or my favorite to my least favorite, this is the order they come in. Mm-hmm. I don't have any problem with that. It's, as as a geek, I think that's part of our uh, that's part of our cultural uh, heritage. Yes, just to yes. Sit and make lists and, and do that sort of thing. Yes, no doubt. But to say, well, it it isn't as good as the others, so I don't like it. Yeah, I think that's where it goes. It becomes a bridge too far for me. Yeah, no, I think you can. I think you can like it. And look, first off, don't think they're not aiming for those for as good as those others. But well, if, they, if, I, if you're not aiming for the best ever on but, everything you do, you, you're selling yourself short. Sure, the problem is that lightning in the bottle. Really, lightning in the bottle is not. It's not accidental, but it's just. It's one of those things that just. It happens with the right formula, and it happens with the right group of people collaborating and it just you know it, it's it is of itself and I don't I don't know that this trilogy will ever be able to stand up but certainly they're shooting for that and that's fine that's that's a noble intention they should be uh, and if they fall short which they are they are almost guaranteed to do so then that doesn't mean that what they put out is, is dog food and that's that's exactly my point uh, yeah I'm summed with you up much more concisely <laughs> uh, but you know in, in my mind when you say you know of course they're going to try to shoot for that in my mind you know on the set of every movie you know they, they're filming in a bad Santa and they're sitting there saying have you got the, uh, the for your consideration DVDs ready you know because I think sure. you know you're foolish if you're not trying to do you know as the best best you can on everything you, you're doing I used to read occasionally Fangoria Every so often, if I went to the store and I already had Starlog this month and I had a few extra bucks, I would buy Fangoria. And it wasn't that I was a big horror film nut, because I really, I mean, you know, outside of you know a few mainstream things, I really wasn't. But I loved reading 
the directors of these little direct-to-video movies because the aspirations that they always had were Shakespearean. Mm-hmm. You know the way these guys would talk about the themes they were working with and the 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 symbolism and all this other stuff. You really thought they were shooting for something that would be taught in classrooms one day, and then you see Killdozer, <laughs> and you go, "Oh, okay, I got you." Because I thought you were, you know, but but I mean, but these guys really are Killdozer. Don't be putting down <laughs> Killdozer. <laughs> but yeah, I love I, the the comic adapt, adaptation. No. Yeah. Wow. It's got another name too. What's the other name for Killdozer? That you know what? I, I don't love it that much. Isn't, like, <laughs> like, isn't that a Maniac Cop movie or something? I mean, well, Killdozer was a TV movie. Oh, was it? Yeah, I was thinking that was one of the. Uh, oh, okay, no, you're right. You're right. But you know, oh, but it, was, you it was it was it was a highbrow entertainment about a Killdozer that came a, a bulldozer that was. Uh, Infused with alien life and came to life and was killing people. Well, of course. How, how do you go along with that? Why aren't they getting the for your consideration for the Emmy DVDs <laughs> ready on that? But you see what I'm saying. Oh, they did. Mm-hmm. They did do an adaptation. Jerry Conway did it. Wow. Ernie Chan, Dick Ayers. Boy, they reeled out all the big guns for that, didn't they? Oh yeah. But quality uh, stuff, my friend. Man, but uh, you know, but you know what I'm saying. A lot of these uh, full moon entertainment type stuff and. You know, these guys, I mean, the stuff they would be talking about was just reaching for the stars and, uh, you know, thematically and that kind of thing. And, and then you see the product and you're like, oh, okay, never mind. So, yeah, I think all these guys are, are out there trying to trying to make something happen. Yeah, I think so. I, like, again, I think if, if, if you're actually trying to make a second-rate, you know, product, then, then people probably are going to sense that and not come. Yes. It, it's... When, you know, I, I'm thinking about, like, even the movies that are bad and they know they're going to be bad. I think there's a difference between, I'm trying to think of a, of a good example of a, uh, of a bad, well, I'll, I'll use The Last Shark, for example. I'll, I'll go I'll go to shark motif since we're on his show. Okay. Uh, when they made The Last Shark, which we reviewed here, and it was clearly a Jaws 4, it was funny, but clearly they were trying to make a good movie. Mm-hmm. It sucked. <laughs> they were trying to make a good movie, and in its own way, that makes it more entertaining, as opposed to Sharknado, where they were trying to make a bad movie. Now, I've, I get a certain amount of enjoyment out of those, and I've laughed at them pretty hard, but there's a def- definitely a different type of humor that you're getting from those movies. Yeah. You know, Sharknado, you know, they were trying to be funny and make a bad movie. That They were effectively making a comedy because they were trying to be funny. Whereas the last shark, they were funny just because it was so bad, despite their intentions. Yeah. So they both made a comedy, but one did not. Intend. Yeah. Was it? <laughs> but I think I think we need to temper our expectations to a certain extent going mm. into these movies, because if, if we go in expecting, you know, this is going to be an all time classic, you know, the odds of you being satisfied once you're done watching it are very very slim. You know what's funny about that is my from an expectation standpoint, my expectations for this film were pretty much not. I don't want to say they were non-existent, but it, you know it was the weird thing because I bought the T-shirts, several of them, and uh, you know I'd done all the things that you're supposed to do as a fan leading up to stuff. But like I would, okay, for example, in October I was in New York City, as you well know, uh-huh. and. Uh, 
I was there for, uh, went to see the New York Philharmonic, and they were performing the Force Awakens score live to the film, which is just an awesome experience. I just, at the end of it, I was just like, I wish I could have brought everybody I know who loves Star Wars into this room with me. Because um, it was just amazing. My wife did that as a birthday present for me. And, and by the way, we were on the third row, so it was just like right there. And, uh, but, at the, you know, while we were in New York, we were poking around and looking at all these different things. So we go in the Disney store, and I've got my Last Jedi shirt on, and the guy at the Disney store is like, oh, Last Jedi, I can't wait to the movie. What do you think? Who do you think Ray's parents are? Do you think she wanted to kind of run into, you know, she's, you know. And at that moment, I realized how turned off I was by the who are Ray's parents talk and the what do you think is going to happen to Kylo Ren talk. And I really was just kind of turned off by all of it because I knew that there was there was never going to be an answer that was good enough. Yeah. With everything that was floating around out there, there just wasn't going to be an answer that was good enough. So I stopped. I mean, it really made me take a cold, hard look at because I, you know, would engage in speculation along with everybody else. I just stopped speculating. I did right then and there. I was like, that's it. I can't do this. This guy's so enthusiastic and he's got his heart set on it being, you know, this, this, and this. And if it's not, I wonder what's going to happen to him. Mm. You know, is his world crushed or can he adapt? <laughs> <laughs> and he did My seem world a little over. Race parents are aren't Skywalkers. Yeah, and uh, and you know he did seem like the type that could be crushed easily. So now, just I'm going to just go off on that tangent for just a moment and just mm -hmm. ask you now. You know, they said ultimately in the movie, and obviously spoilers to anybody who's listening. To this, mm -hmm. um, they said that her parents were nobodies. Uh, do you think that's the reality, or, or could we be up for a surprise in the next movie where all of a sudden we find out, oh no, that's you know they aren't nobodies, they're Kenobi's or Skywalkers? No, nah, I'm not going there. I'm not. You know, here's the thing: I spent three years telling everybody, of course, Darth Vader's lying. Of course, Darth Vader's <laughs> lying. He's not Luke's dad. How can he be Luke's dad? He's lying. Of course, he lied. He, you know, Darth Vader's a bad guy. He lies. He probably smokes cigarettes. You know. He's not a nice guy. Of course, he's he's not telling the truth, and I'm not. I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to take Kylo Ren at his word, because uh, because ultimately, I mean, what what could they pull out of their hat that would be worthwhile? Well, I don't know. It would take some good writing. You can't just go. Oh, <laughs> but but, I, but that's what I hope for. But, that's what I what I you know. Uh, but I'll I'm tell you, for. some of the frustrating praise I've heard for the film. And, and it seems to be universally agreed upon, since we're discussing the film at this point, um, that there's this there's a theme of the film that, you know, it's 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 not just your bloodline anymore that determines whether you can be a Jedi. It can be anybody. Anybody can be a Jedi. And that's refreshing and freeing. And it's like, what the hell are you idiots talking about? <laughs> that's the way it always was. The Skywalkers were an anomaly. I mean, think about it. Jedi, they weren't allowed to form attachments, which means they weren't allowed to fall in love, which means they weren't allowed to get married, which means reproducing. Hello? So there weren't, you know, the Jedi weren't based on bloodlines. And for some reason, all of these people are standing up going, what are the thematic elements of the film? And maybe it is because there's so many people are saying it. But if so, then even the story group screwed it up. Well, I'm thinking that may be an answer to all the people who are speculating that, oh, she has to be Luke's daughter, or she has to be Ben Kenobi's daughter, or, you know, well, that's or, a, or, another, or another child of the solo uh, yeah, but Skywalker. But the, the, supposedly it's just this whole thematic thing, you know, the broom kid and all that, that 
well, this, as we see now, the galaxy's wide open, and it's a welcome change for the franchise that anybody can be a Jedi. It's like, what in God's name are you saying? But it was a thematic answer not, if it was intentionally that way, it was a thematic answer not to the prior films, but to the fan community's speculation. I guess. It just, it, the way they talk about it, it's like, well, it paves the way for future Star Wars stories. Like, how was the, that way never paved before? Well, that I agree, I agree we, with you totally. But we, again, it's the the, the closed uh, way of looking at it that the fan community had for whatever reason. We, and, and you know what? To, uh, before I throw too many stones, I thought she was going to end up being a Skywalker. So <laughs> I guess I fall into the same group that that message is intended for. Yeah, I just I I can't see them turning around and going, oh yeah, you thought we we kind of put and JJ May because JJ may be mad that all of his setup was destroyed in this film. But JJ uh, <laughs> may turn around and go, oh, yeah, I'll show you. Well, he's got the next one, so <laughs> yeah. So, but uh, I just don't. Uh, to me, if they were to undo your parents or nobody, at this point, I think you're going to have to you're going to have to do more than she's a Skywalker or she's a Kenobi. I think it has to be a bigger, broader explanation than that. Because that's just, mm-hmm. I mean, that's just swapping one excuse for another. That's fair. I, I, I think they're better off sticking with what they did, because I, yeah, I do agree I did with too. you that, that the history of the, uh, at least in, in the films and even in the extended universe, is that you know there, there were Jedis that came from every background. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's just a matter of, it, you know, eventually it became a matter of if you had the Metachlorian count or whatever. Uh, and just, you know, whatever, for whatever reason, Anakin's was exceptionally high, and he passed that on to his children. Well, probably because he was created by the Force. I mean, yeah, you know, that's true. one thing they talk about, moving away from the Chosen One narrative, and I don't know that you can just move away from the Chosen One narrative. That's part of it. I'll tell you this, too, and for all the prequel haters out there, I think you're going to love this. Uh, thematically, this movie, to me, affirms the direction of the prequels. This movie, to me, is a very pro-prequel movie. And, and, and I'm, I'm interested in hearing you ex- extrapolate on that a little Well, uh, it, to me, it was very obvious from the prequels, and I don't know that everybody picked up on this, and maybe this is part of the... I think there's a rich amount of subtext in the prequels that, unfortunately, people just, just kind of don't look at because they just look at, well, there's a bunch of CGI stuff, and we hate Jar Jar Binks, so let's move on. But there's a rich subtext, particularly with regards to the Jedi. The Jedi have just not, they're not doing the things they should be doing. They're not upholding the Jedi way. They're not really doing right by the galaxy at this point. Mm-hmm. And there's some stories, I remember the Net News, they used to have a website, Lucasfilm had a website between episodes one and two called Net News, and it was supposed to be like the breaking news stories of the day in galaxy you know within the star wars galaxy and i remember one of them just being the stories of you know jedi coming to people's houses and taking their babies away from them you know oh look you've got a force sensitive baby we're taking it see ya and you know that's what they would do and you know the jedi were not in the right where they were they'd gotten arrogant they'd gotten lazy they'd gotten you know they allowed this war to happen um they actively participated in it instead of asking questions about it and uh, you know they they weren't where they should have been as a, as an order, and that's you know that's 
Yoda and Mace Windu and all these guys straight on down the line. And uh, basically, The Last Jedi says exactly that. These guys were off the rails. Their teachings at that point, you know, when they were upended by Order 66, were wrong. And, you know, there's there has to be a change. And, and Luke Skywalker believed that, as did Yoda. They just had two different approaches to it. But, uh, yeah, the Jedi had to change. To a great extent in the prequels, the Jedi are benevolent, assuming you go with their way of thinking. Yes, exactly. (laughs) If not, then they're not quite so benevolent. No, then they cut your arm off and, you know, you're screwed. So, yeah. Yeah, I I, I agree with that. I, I think thematically this movie is actually a reinforcement of the themes of the prequels. And, uh, you know, you can go stuff your socks with that if you need to. Yeah, and I, I think it's foolish to just sweep the prequels under the rugs. Yeah. Under the rug. I think there are, uh, I'm not going to sit here and praise them to, you know, to no, to no end, because I think there are definitely some weaknesses in each of the three prequel movies. <coughs> but I think all three of them have some, some quality things that are in them. Mm-hmm. And I think you just, you just need to watch them a little bit more closely and with just kind of an open mind and I think you will see some of those positive things without a doubt and and you know what you can even watch it with a fairly superficial viewing and I still think they're fairly entertaining I am not a prequel basher mm-hmm. by any stretch of the imagination I, I could do I could so do without the pod race the pod but, race man, one, I hate the pod race why do you hate the pod race I just think it was dumb I think it was unnecessary I think it was it was filler for hey look what we can do with CG no it was Ben Hur man it was not Ben. It was, it was Ben Hur. I'd rather see. I'd rather see Charlton Heston doing it. <laughs> well, you know, the other thing is the pod race is also longer on uh, in, on the film now than it was when it came out, mm-hmm. and that maybe if there's an extra lap in the pod race now than there was in the film, so uh, that's what it needed more pod. Yeah, well, I was gonna say maybe the original cut was just more satisfactory. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I honestly, I really do feel that that was one of the biggest weaknesses. Plus, it took away from the whole Jedi aspect of the movie. It, it was just unnecessary. There was nothing mm-hmm. to me, there was nothing in the story that called for that. Mm-hmm. Other than, oh, we were going to have a bet to, to free uh, Anakin. But there were other ways they could have gotten around that, I, I really think. Anyway, let's talk about The Last Jedi. Alright! So, your first viewing, you go to see this movie. Yep. You're all jacked up with your, with your rogue. What you you see it? You're walking out. What are you thinking? I'm thinking that I am deeply I'm deeply conflicted by this film. Uh, and, and and I'm like I said, I'm trying to put you in that moment because I know you've seen it again. Yeah. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about if things changed with the second yeah, viewing. Yeah, I'm watching it, and I say to my wife, and most of the time, my wife is probably sick of hearing this. Most of the time, we walk out of a movie, and I turn to her and I go, "I could have cut 20 minutes out of that movie." Mm-hmm. That was kind of my reputation in college was I could take other people's stuff and make it better. And uh, I, well, I, it's easier to stand on the shoulders of geniuses <laughs> than to be a genius yourself. True, uh, but I remember turning to her. I said after this movie, I said, "Well, I take I take that back. The one movie I didn't say that at was Live by Night." I turned to her walking out of there. I said that movie could have used another forty five minutes, which I've never said before. But uh, but Live by Night needed it. Plus, there was a lot of Brunswick footage in it. But uh, we're walking out of, of Last Jedi, and I turn around and I go, I could have cut 30 minutes out of that movie. Not not my usual 20, 30. 
And she's like, yeah, you're right. There are there are times when the pacing is just interminably slow, and it shouldn't be because it's Star Wars. Uh, there are times when you ask yourself, why did a character do that? And you continue asking yourself that even when you find out why the character did that. Um, a lot of the things that people are critical of in the film, I'm actually very okay with. You know, it's funny because when... You know, I'm critical of certain aspects of the film, and everybody keeps saying, well, that's just because of your expectations. But as I've told you before, I didn't really go in with expectations. My expectations washed away when I got sick of talking about who Ray's parents were. And uh, so as, as I'm walking out of the theater that night, and I had just seen my buddy Thomas Merritt, who's a major Rancho Obi-Wan supporter, on my way into the theater. And he had just seen the very first show, and I saw the second show. And I said, what did you think? He goes, I was very happy. And I said, okay, great. But I came out, I wasn't very happy. I wasn't unhappy, <laughs> but I wasn't, I wasn't, holy cow, this is the best thing I've ever seen in my life. I was very much... <laughs> Again, just getting back to, we're circling around to the same conversation. That might be holding it to too high of a standard. Yeah, no, it's true. But, you know, I, I was very much, there are things that are wrong with this movie. Uh, I have seen, you know, Star Wars a million times, and I will tell you that I've never seen anything in a Star Wars movie I hated, and in this movie I saw something I hated. And, you know what, let's get right there, what you hate. Princess Leia rescuing herself with the Force in space. Okay, I did not like that either. Uh, I thought it looked... I probably like would hate it. Mm. But what I did was, as soon as it was over, I just kind of wiped my mind of it. I, did, I refused. <laughs> I refused to think about it. When when she eventually reappears in the movie, I wouldn't th think back to, oh yeah, she saved herself. It was just like, no, she's just here. I, I didn't like that either because it seemed like a use of the force that they don't have the ability to do. Well, I mean, you could say she maybe she has the ability to do that. She's pulling herself towards the ves the vessel or whatever, but. I think, I think why didn't off, it just kill her in the vacuum of space? Well, I was going to say, first off, I don't think she had time to, to get her act together and do that. Uh, I think she does die in the vacuum of space, and honestly, it would solve a problem for Episode Nine, wouldn't it? Yeah, uh, well, and also, what, how did they even get her in? Because I don't think there was actually like an airlock room that they... No, the, the door just they opened. Just, just, yeah, okay, open to the vacuum of space, yeah. and you know, it's fine. And uh, the next cut is them putting the, ga the gas mask, the oxygen mask on her face. Um, I didn't like it because I didn't think the visual... I didn't think it looked good. But also, I think there were two plot reasons to put that in there, two thematic reasons to put that scene in there. And I think you you do and can do one of them a different way, and that is they, I think they wanted to show she was in touch with the Force. Yeah, I think that was something, you know, in, in I just, you know, go to the Return of the Jedi, the Force runs strong in my family, my yeah. father, me, my sister, yeah. and we really haven't had an example to speak of, of the Force running strongly in her, other than the fact that she was able to reach out to Luke. Yes. You know, in, 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 in a time of uh, difficulty. Yeah. And so it was, I do think it was important somewhere in this trilogy to put something where she showed that she is strong with the Force. I just don't think this was the way to do it. No, I don't either. And the other thing is, and I'm not, I don't want to get too political with this because I know that's not what this is, but there, there is a, a large underswelling of third-wave feminism that, that is uh, in this movie in a lot of different places. And one of the premises of third-wave feminism is you don't rescue the princess. The princess can rescue herself. 
then put her in a position which, where it makes logistic sense yes. for her to rescue herself. Yes. That's all. Exactly. I don't have a problem with them doing that. I really don't. And, and again, like you said, this isn't a political show. I don't mind political agendas to, a, to an extent, but be subtle about it. Well, they're going to be there. They're, they're going to be there, period. I mean, that's, just, that's part that's of creating fine. art. Uh, that's fine, but, but do it subtly and do it in a, in a way where it makes sense. Don't don't force feed it. Yeah. And don't make it, yes. you know, and, and, you know, using the Star Trek uh, analogy, don't make it bonk bonk over the head. Don't Rube Goldberg it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Don't don't build, but I think I think that. they feel a need to to make it so, just in your face, just to to satisfy critics, and and I don't think you should ever make a movie to satisfy critics. Never, although this one did. Um, so yeah, that that is the that is the one moment in all of Star Wars that I just loathe. I just I I love Jar Jar Binks to death, but I can't take this. Um, uh, and and the thing is, you just have to be able to move on from it if if you're going to enjoy the film. And the Which film, is exactly what I well, did. Well, the, the film is so much more than just that moment. So I, I think there, there are ways, creative ways, where they could have shown somehow, you know, just before the explosion, she used the Force to pull things around her to protect herself or something. Yes. There are ways to do it. Yes. Where it, where it wouldn't have just, where it wouldn't seem stupid. Uh, I'm going to come right out and say it. To me, that seemed stupid. Yeah. The way she did. No, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. And, again, and, and I don't have a problem with empowering her and showing that, you know, that the the storyline is that she is strong with the Force. Sure. So to, to show her using the Force to rescue herself somehow, uh, but not quite be strong enough to not be, you know, critically injured, that's all, I'm fine with that. Well, you, know, again, you could have done the, you could have had the storyline go exactly the same, just have that scene play out slightly differently. Well, because I'm an old school traditional guy, I think everybody sometimes needs rescuing, even a princess. And uh, I wouldn't have had a problem if, if Poe, you know, went out in a shuttle or something and grabbed her, you know, saw her moving, flickering something, you know. Well, I still have the problem with that she's in outer space and she's kept herself alive by the Force, which yeah. I, I just, it's, to me, it's a little bit of a bridge too far. Mm-hmm. If, if she used the force to somehow put her in a position where it kept her safe in a way that made sense to me, and then Poe went out and, <laughs> and rescued her, then I'm fine. But if she's just floating out in space, you know, all glowy like that, you no. Know. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it would have helped Frank Poole out if he could have done that. So, so uh, just you know, to keep moving into the movie here, yes, a little bit, uh, I do think that the, that opening sequence was. Like it pulled me right in, you know. We went right into an action sequence, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with the. Uh, I'm trying to remember what, what was the big ship. Uh, was it Dreadnought? Yeah, well, the, the Dreadnought ship and their efforts to destroy it. And I thought that was all really well done. Yeah. And, you know, pulled me right into the movie. Well, and I thought the opening shot itself was very reminiscent of Episode Three, where they 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 tilt down after the opening crawl and then just zoom in on spaceships doing spaceshipy things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love that. Uh, I, I thought, it was and I think they also set up one of the themes of the movie there with you know Poe not listening to, uh, you know, to, to a command order. Yes, plainly that was so, yeah what what that was. And I'll tell you what else I thought was neat, and uh, I wanted to save this for the commentary, but since this is going to be out after the commentary, uh, these bombers that they had <clears throat> uh, about two years ago, I got a really interesting and unique opportunity. I got to go up in a B seventeen. Oh, wow. And when they were showing those bombers, you don't know how many flashbacks I had to that World War II vintage B-17 that I flew in. Uh, it, it had so much of the same look and feel 
of that vessel. And I, and I have zero doubt that that was on their minds when they were doing it because it was so close to, to being in and walking around. Cause I, I mean, I literally got to walk around inside the B 17, you know, as, as it was in flight mm-hmm. and those bombers really were evocative of that. And, and you know, I would say Ryan Johnson studied his World War II movies a lot before he made this movie. I wasn't sure about the logistics of the bombers and if they made sense that way. And since I wasn't sure, I could just let it go. Like, if I looked at it and said, oh, that's ridiculous, that's different. Uh, Are you talking about, like, but I thought visually they were just incredibly compelling. I really just liked the way they looked mm. and the way they had to float over to drop the bombs and everything. I, I just thought they were terrific. Well, if, really and for people that. who are concerned about the gravity, well, the bombs wouldn't drop in the gravity. Just look, think about it this way. Uh, all of these all of these uh, spaceships have artificial gravity. They have to generate an artificial gravity field. Just think about the fact these bombers were pretty much within range of that artificial gravity when they dropped those bombs. Done. Taken care of. Yes, I, I just thought that was great. I think for uh, for purposes of discussing it, I think it's good to kind of split the movie into two halves here. Uh, oh yeah, one is is the uh, you know the, the the plight of the uh, of the rebels and and their their situation trying to very very slowly run from uh, the first order. Very slow. And then you know Ray's situation with Luke, and then how they eventually kind of combine. Yeah. Okay. So, and and I'll and I'll start off by asking you, you know, from a film viewer's point of view, I think that that split was very very clear, kind of a plot, b plot, and then eventually combining into a single plot. Uh, what did you think of that? How, how, you know, how do you think that played out? Was that I, I was that well thought out, or did that seem to you know be a little too heavy handed? No, what I what I think is that Ryan Johnson had a lot of balls to juggle in this movie, and he did it effectively. He never. You know, we never lost track of anybody. We never, and, and and again, I think some of the things that were kind of forced on Ryan Johnson were give all of these characters their moments plus these characters. And I think, I think, plus we got to add these cute little guys in. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think he was given the task of doing more than he really should have done, but I think he handled it well. Uh, I think he did. I think, I think it was fairly deftly directed as far as, uh, keeping you from kind of forgetting what's going on on one while the other one is going on. Like, you, you can jump back and forth without having a problem there. Although I do agree with you, there were a couple of pacing issues where they could have just moved along some scenes quicker. Yeah, Canto Bite is a giant slowdown for this film. It's just, uh, you know, and, 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 and honestly, that, that whole plot line is, and I've mentioned this before to a couple of people now, the whole plot line reminds me of when... Uh, and Peter David talks about Raiders of the Lost Ark, and he talks about how you could take Indiana Jones completely out of Raiders of the Lost Ark, and you'd still have the same things happen. Yeah. Which is the Nazis, you know, I've, they go to Egypt. I've heard that theory, yeah. and I've heard people try and dispute it, and I've heard people totally agree with it, and maybe one day we'll do a Raiders episode. <laughs> uh, well, I'll just go ahead and... Which, by the way, is Jaws. I was going to say, I'll just go ahead and sneak preview that. It is Jaws. Um, I... This the Canto Bite sequence was yeah about them going on a mission that absolutely does not advance the plot at all because it turns out to be completely for nothing a complete side pocket it is the alternative 1985 from Back to the Future when you think about it uh, in, in I, I when I was watching the Canto Bite sequence I said 
in my mind, I didn't say it aloud, but I said, uh, I think this is the second effort to recreate the uh, cantina. Oh, yeah, even musically, especially musically, because they whipped out the steel drums. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, so musically. And I think it was a little bit more successful to create that field than it was in The Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. But, again, you know, and, and uh, I like Del Toro, so that carried some of it for me. Mm-hmm. So I didn't find it totally wasteful, but I agree with you that if they hadn't had that, and they just capture, you know, capture them without the whole deception part of it, we'd still end up in the same exact place where we are. Yeah, so uh, maybe with a few fewer dead rebels, and that's about it. But, because uh, I, I do think more rebels, or, yeah, they're calling them rebels again, never mind. And, uh, I think more rebels were, uh, were killed because of, uh, you know, their association with DJ. But, mm-hmm. Other than that, yeah. Maybe I, some Bothan spots. And I will tell you, because I'm looking at the sequence right now, the guys, the security guys on Canto Bite, and, you know, because I don't want to discount everything about Canto Bite. I just felt that it was, that there were just some kind of forced action beats there. You know, it's like they forced, again, the, the crux of their entire problem on Canto Bite was they were not parked legally, which they okay. could have solved very easily. Um, but I think Canto Bite, the reason they had all that in there was so they could force some action into something that was otherwise going to be actionless. And, uh, and I think it was it was to try and give Rose a little bit of a, a spotlight. Yeah. Because we're introducing her as a new character. And, you know. Yeah. we got, we got to have her do something. And again, of a complaint, that would be a complaint. It's just that I, I don't, this movie has so much, I don't need Rose. I mean, I'm sorry. There's just, there's just so much in this movie already. I don't need Rose. I kind of liked her inclusion. I, and I don't. I, not so like, much because. From, like, I understand the actress is a delightful woman who loves the fact that she's in Star Wars. I think it's great. But. But I, I, I kind of liked her because she doesn't. To me, she. You know, she's a new character mm-hmm. who doesn't look like she should be on the cover of uh, the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit issue. And, and I kind of like that. I, I just like. I, I like when they, when they introduce characters who seem like regular people. So we need more ugly people in Star Wars. Is no, that what you're saying? Not, not, no, not that. That's what you're saying. I'm, I'm, well, you know what? Maybe, maybe I, I don't think she's ugly. <laughs> I just think she looks like a regular person mm. as opposed to a model. Adam Driver is a ridiculously not attractive guy, but apparently girls disagree with me on that. I, and I would agree with that, too. I think he, you know... I, you know what? I, I was, during the movie, I was looking at this thing. There's an awful lot of people in this movie with very big noses. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was noticing that during the movie. Yes. I found that very amusing in its own way. Well, the funny thing, too, is that the chicks are going crazy with the Adam Driver. He's got a shirt off scene. and But, you know, when you got to pull your pants up as high as he has to to cover up everything else, I don't know how ripped he is. You know, he he, he was definitely, you know, he wasn't showing off the Arnold Schwarzenegger. No, guy. he was not. But, yeah, I mean, I'm sure, you know, for a, reg- for a regular guy, he's probably in great shape. It, if we met him, yeah. you know, in passing, we'd probably sure. be like, oh, yeah, look at this guy, he works out. Yeah, but it but, wasn't uh, like Matt, the engineer, going, you know, I hear Kylo Ren has an eight-pack. Yeah, no. Because I didn't see that happening. But, uh, yeah, I don't I, know. I, yeah, I, I understand your thought, you know, with, I, that it, it's a little bit silly to start with the, you know, we need ugly people. And I don't sit there saying we need ugly people, but every once in a while when I see somebody who just doesn't fit that mold mm-hmm. and is still captivating in some way or, or charismatic in some way, I like that. Mm-hmm. 
and and not only in appearance, but the way she was written. Mm. I think she came off as kind of the regular person. She's a little bit of comic relief and a little she, bit of just an everyday person. She didn't seem like you know, uh, you know, this, this wasn't okay. Here's yeah. this woman who's you know so incredibly uh, uh, you know capable that that we need her on our side. She was like kind of a regular person. Sure. And uh, and again, I don't. I think she gave a good performance in that capacity. I just don't know that there was a need. And I guess that's part of my issue with it. It's just I don't. I, there's so much other stuff going on in this movie. It's like, eh, I could I could do without it. Again, yeah, you're talking I, about cutting I, a half not... hour of the film, which I think needs to happen. That's that's probably a place where I'd cut. And the funny thing is, you know, we keep going back to that cutting a half an hour out, and I could see easily cutting a half an hour out to pace things out. Mm-hmm. And yet, every movie that I like, when it comes out on DVD, if it says, you know, extended edition, 12 more minutes of, <laughs> you know, of staring into space, I'm usually like, oh yeah, I want to see that. <laughs> there are only, there are really, really only two movies I can think of that, that were made better by being longer. I think the Star Trek, the motion picture is a better movie longer. Uh, I agree. Because uh, they also added character moments. They didn't. They didn't just add more shots of the Enterprise flying through Viger. And mm-hmm. you know what else? Nineteen forty-one. I don't think I've ever seen the extended version. Nineteen forty-one. The the director's cut is about twenty minutes longer. And comedies, you know, the the common sense on comedies is they're supposed to be short. But nineteen forty-one just works better as a longer piece because you set up all the jokes that you pay off. Uh, by the time the movie came out in theaters, it had been trimmed so bare that there were no real setup for a lot of the payoffs. You know, right. it's like it's like literally, you know, telling the punchline without the the, the two Jews walk into a bar part. So mm-hmm. yes, uh, it, it's it, it's just a better movie. Nineteen forty one, much better movie. Uh, Twenty minutes long. I, I do find that often the the extended editions that I like are they're, they're not really making the movie better. Yeah, they're, they're just giving me more of what, what I like. you like. Yep, I was about to say that. And I would I would say the prime example for that is the extended version of Superman the movie. I was thinking the It same doesn't thing. it yes. doesn't make the movie better. No. There's nothing in there where you say, "Oh wow, that explains this or that yes. makes that scene so much better." But there's just a, you know, a couple of little scenes that they cut out to make it shorter. Yeah. Because it's a fairly long movie. And they, and they they put them back in and and they don't change the overall feel of the movie. They just give you more of it to like. Mm-hmm. And that's to me, that's that's the prime example of most extended cuts that I have enjoyed. Yes, I agree with you on that. I agree with you on that. Uh, and I do still think Live by Night could have been 45 minutes longer. Uh, and, it, I mean, plainly it's a failure as it is, so what could it hurt? <laughs> um, let me ask you this question. Ray is raised on Jakku. It's a desert planet. Um, when she gets to Achtu, Kazunheit, um, she seems to be able to swim very well. Where did that ability come from? That's a very good question that would probably never have occurred to me. I'm <laughs> just curious. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know. I, I still don't swim that well. No. Well, she was raised around sand her whole life. She's never raised around water, and all of a sudden she's on Doc Two and she can swim. Just curious where that came from. I, I... Yeah. No, I got no answer for you unless the force somehow. Gave her that ability Force, much like it can make you travel through space. It taught her how to swim. Yes. Okay. I'm going with that. Okay. I'm running with that. I'm sticking by I'll it. only go with that if she turns out to be a Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> no, I... I yeah. 
Well, you know, when, whenever you take one of these movies, if you start really picking it apart, you're going to find stuff like oh, that. Oh, yeah. I, I do have the innate ability to turn off my brain, mm-hmm. which is, when it comes to watching movies, is sometimes a gift. Because I don't sit there during the movie and say, oh, that's not possible, unless it's, like, really over the top. Yeah. And, like, that never occurred to me. Um, but, you know, sometimes as a reviewer, you want to look a little more closely, or as a fan of a show, you want to look a little more, a movie, rather, you want to look a little more closely and see these moments where, you know, maybe they, that should have occurred to them. Mm-hmm. I, my guess is it did occur to them, and they thought, eh, who cares, just, just do it. I think they're smart enough to know. Let's just let her swim. Nobody's going to yeah. ask. You know, we we can't have a scene where she's learning how to swim. No. And if we put it, and to put even a line in there explaining why somehow she knows how, uh, is you know just going to be too tedious. So the choices are: we have that scene in there, or we replace it with something else. Yeah. And they might have decided it's not worth. You know, I'd rather do this. And sometimes I think that comes down to lazy writing, because maybe you could replace it with something else that's going to be every bit as good. Yep. So now she she comes she she comes up to Luke and he takes a light, the lightsaber and just tosses it. Yeah, I think that was quite predictable, actually. Did you really? Yeah, I, I I knew he was not going to embrace teaching her. Sure. Well, I mean, it's a short film if, she, if he does, uh, or it's at least a different uh, film. Yeah, it's definitely would be a, a different film. But I, I you know he didn't run off and and go into seclusion. Because he was because he wanted to teach more people how to be Jedi. No, true. So, you know, clearly he was going to be jaded at that point, and clearly he was going to have a lot of introspection where he was questioning whether he had done the right thing or not. I think I think that goes without saying that that was going to happen. So, when she shows up, I didn't expect her to embrace him and say, "Okay, it's time to start teaching you." Mm-hmm. Well, did, you know, did did you think differently? I didn't think differently, but I I find it interesting because let me let me. See if I can pull this up really quickly. I may not be able to pull this up really quickly, but you know, on, on the internet last year, they circulated the uh, script for, or not last year, but two years ago, they they circulated a script of the the uh, Force Awakens, and here was the last page. Okay, it is Luke Skywalker. Okay, let me go ahead and Ray stares, knowing exactly who it is, but she just stares for what seems like forever until finally he turns slowly to her, pulls back his hood. It is Luke Skywalker. Older now, white hair, bearded. He looks at Ray, a kindness in his eyes, but there's something tortured too. He doesn't need to ask her who she is or what she's doing there. His look says it all. I find that okay. interesting. Yeah, well, I because that's not what I didn't expect in the movie. him to. But I, you know, yeah, okay. I mean, I did expect that he was going to intuitively know that it was some sort of crisis that brought her to him. Whether he knew it all, I didn't. He doesn't you know, need to ask her who that. she is or what she's doing here. Which, which to me says, J.J. Abrams probably did have her plan to have some sort of lineage, and that they might have changed that for this movie. At the very least, I think what it says is that uh, Luke was not cut off from the Force. That Luke was kind of following events from afar. And oh, I, I, yeah, I, I, and I don't want to be so far gone that I'm telling you that I thought he was going to be, you know, 
giving up on the Force. Mm-hmm. I think he was giving up on teaching the Force and creating and creating new Jedi. Mm-hmm. And I think they they laid the groundwork for that in the Force Awakens by by talking about how he, you know, he he started the, this Jedi Academy and the, you know, what it led to. And 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 to me, I always heard. Obi-Wan's voice saying, you know, I thought I could teach as well as you, as Master Yoda. I was wrong. Yeah. And that's that's what I kept here, you know, in my mind, that's what I kept putting to Luke. Yeah. And even, you know, even with that, Obi-Wan sent Luke to Yoda. He didn't still didn't feel, you know, that he could teach him. No, you're right. He he could give him the ABCs, but then to to give him the more sophisticated training, he he knew that was beyond him. Indeed. Indeed. I'm with you on that. Yeah, he. I mean, because at the beginning of The Empire Strikes Back, Luke knew parlor tricks. You know, Luke, yeah, with much. great effort, could summon a lightsaber to himself. That's about it. <laughs> I'm a Jedi. Yeah, you prove yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, pick a card. Yeah, pick a card. <laughs> yeah, you see this? There's one ball under the cup. Nope, now there are two balls under the cups. <laughs> hey, is that a quarter in your ear? Is that, is that a lightsaber in your ear? <laughs> So yeah, but you know that's that's kind of where I saw Luke at. I thought he, you know, he he tried, he failed, and he was in seclusion because of that, and that he was going to resist ever teaching anyone again. I, I and I fully expected at some point he was going to say something about her being too old. That would have been funny. That would have been nice. I was a, I was a little surprised that we didn't get that call back. I was also surprised that we did get a call back to Yoda. I did not expect that at all. Uh, I I actually expected it and more, because Frank Oz was at the premiere, and I said to myself, "Why would Frank Oz be at the premiere?" And then uh, Hayden Christensen was at the premiere, and I was like, "Well, why is Hayden Christensen at the premiere?" So I thought we were going to get Force Ghosts of Yoda and Anakin, uh, and obviously we didn't get both. So, mm-hmm. well, we might they might have been originally plans for both. I, I did hear. Some rumor that at one point Hayden Christensen was being talked to about being this movie. Yeah, and I wish he had been. I really, I would love to see that that bridge right there. But uh, having Yoda in the film and and having, you know, not it's not just having him as a puppet, which I thought was a good touch, but having impish, uh, devilish, prankster Yoda mm-hmm. was great. Yes, you know. I, I enjoyed his appearance a lot. And then it was funny because when he came on the screen and Tina said, why does his voice sound familiar? And I said, have you ever seen the Muppets? <laughs> Do you know who Miss Piggy is? And she was like, oh, my God. <laughs> because she had no Yeah, clue. he's only Miss Piggy, Fozzie, Cookie Monster, Grover. But Yoda's, Yoda's voice is closer to Miss Piggy than any other Muppet. You think? Yes. Oh, I think it's much more Cookie Monster than anything. Don't You don't? No, no, I think it's I think it's closer to, to Miss Piggy. Interesting, because because he gets a little bit of that high pitched <gasps> sound to it, huh? Which is something Cookie Monster really doesn't do. Co- Cookie Monster's always at the gravelly. Yeah, side. Cookie, but he's got the you know the back of the throat thing. You know, where, whereas to be honest, Miss Piggy is always at that higher scale. Yes, uh, but Never Yoda 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 kind of goes back and forth between the two. Yes, have two souls joined so freely and so fast. <laughs> For me, this is the first time and the last. One of those. How long have you been waiting to do that? <laughs> I love that. But I, I, I thought his appearance was surprising for me, 
and I thought it was well written. I thought it, it yeah. added some some depth to the movie. It, it wasn't just a you know a cameo for the sake of a cameo. No. So I, I really liked that. The only thing I do want to say is the books. The Luke says I'm going to burn the books, and Yoda's like, Nah, let me blow them up for you. But the books are on the Millennium Falcon by the end of the movie. I'm thinking they had digital copies. No, <laughs> Ray's got them on her Kindle. Um, yes. No, the books themselves physically are in the Millennium Falcons. They are. They have been taken. Is Ray a thief? Did Yoda say, "Here, take these books. You should." Yeah, my 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 thoughts. If I have to no prize that away, and I guess we have to, uh, is that those were put on the Millennium Falcon by Yoda before she left. So Yoda's in on it then. Yeah, that's I think where most I'm people I talked to, I was talking to Glosson yesterday about it. I think most people who talk about that agree that Yoda had to have been in on it. Okay, so we're that's I'm I'm happy to agree with Glosson. Okay. I think yeah, I think most everybody I've talked to so far agrees Yoda had to be some part of that. And some say Luke, but I don't think Luke knew. I think Luke is oblivious. Yes, I but, think he, he truly believes he's he's getting rid of them and everything. But I think there are genuine ethical issues if Ray is just taking them without at least Yoda knowing. I mean, she's just yeah. stealing, oh, yeah. she's stealing these Jedi texts. Well, <laughs> we could just go on for hours. But uh, <laughs> at, at, at that point, Luke has already expressed to her that, that he's... He has no interest in continuing the Jedi faith. Is she stealing them, or is she just preserving? Is she? If he has no interest in continuing the Jedi faith, then she says, "Well, fine. You won't mind if I take these books." Oh, okay. Yeah, you have no use for them anyway. Yeah. Clear and clearly, it would have been over his objection because he he would he, at, at that point he doesn't want anybody to have. Them. Yeah. So it's it's not it's stealing either way, but is it stealing in a noble way or is it stealing you know in a sneaky way? If if she did this without Yoda's acceptance of it or knowledge of it, then I think I still put it as stealing in a noble way. Mm -hmm. yeah. But it's just stealing just the same. Yeah. I, just stealing I mean, with good intentions. I'm not a fan of the stealing unless Yoda's in on it. If Yoda's in on it, Yoda says, here, take these books, then I'm good with it. But otherwise... My, no, my thoughts are Yoda put them there and she didn't even know they were there at first. Hmm. She's, she's traveling back and, and oh, hey, what are these books Because she doesn't know. Okay, well, you know what? I like that even more. Because it kind of absolves her of having, you know, hidden all that from Luke. Mm -hmm. So I'll I'll actually accept yours above anybody's. Okay, and just because we are, you know, we we can run long and we can go hours and hours, and I'd like to, but I don't think either of us have the time to do that. <laughs> so I'm going to move this along a little quicker, and I'm going to take us to the point where, uh, well, I'm going to I'm going to go over to the other plot. I was going to go to start to join them a little bit, but I'm going to go to the other plot uh, as we walked out of the. Uh, out of the movie, my son kept saying, and again, this was the second time he viewed it, he couldn't get past the point, the, the thought, that why didn't they just tell Poe what their plan was? Yes. Yes. He, he could not let that go. And I kept saying, let me think about it, and I'm going to try and come up with a logical reason for it. And I still haven't been able to. And, and unfortunately, from your tone of voice, I'm not going to get no. the satisfaction of you giving you're, me an explanation that I'm going to like. No, you're absolutely not. I was reading a piece by Anthony Bresnikan this morning, and I love Anthony Bresnikan's work. 
Uh, and Anthony Brezican has been very, very nice to me over the last couple of years. Uh, he's given me time when he doesn't need to, he hasn't needed to give me time. You know, he's done my Star Wars story. Uh, I spent some time with him at Celebration in April. We did a podcast together then. Um, his his take on that is that the reason Admiral Holdo doesn't tell Poe anything is because she just doesn't trust him. But I don't think military protocol gives you the benefit of being able to trust certain people. I think you have to trust them by virtue of who they are and what they do. And why she wouldn't trust somebody that Leia seems to hold in high regard, I don't know. Um, I, I kind of accept that she didn't trust him. I think, you know, her motivations for not trusting him, I, I think, you know, we're, we're, we're okay with that. That's a, a fault that she has or whatever, that she, she doesn't see past his brashness. But she should, if she's the leader that she's presented as being, she should be able to see that she's playing with fire by not bringing well and let me and let me let me address this in two ways one i spoke to a friend of mine who is air force who said flat out that is bad command you know you just don't do that to the people underneath you you don't you don't Mm -hmm. you don't announce to them you don't trust them you don't leave them hanging you don't put them in a position where they're going to react poorly uh it's bad command in in the real world and we keep hearing about how the real world's got to be represented in star wars don't we well the real world in the military was not represented there the other thing is the latest issue of the poe dameron comic and it's funny that the and let me call it i'm sorry the latest issue of the criminally underselling poe dameron comic (laughs) um is the the plot basically leia comes up with a giant scheme poe is not a big fan and kind of refuses to go along with her. And so she decides to explain the whole thing to him, at which point he is fully on board and cooperates, and they execute it perfectly. Which which would have been... I guess what they did was they created false conflict by not having yes. it that way. Yes, exactly. And I do agree. I do... You know, like I said, I was. T- I told my son, uh, I'm going to try and come up with an explanation for this, and, and as soon as I think of one, I'll give it to you. Uh, I haven't been able to think of one, so I do see that as a flaw in this movie. Yeah, I do too. I, do too. I have to agree with him on that. It's not a fatal flaw by any stretch for me, but it is a flaw. Yeah. I mean, you know, somebody so, somebody attacked uh, Admiral Holdo because she was wearing a cocktail dress uh, while she was commanding <laughs> a, a military fleet, and at first I'm like, yeah! And then I thought, well, you know, Mon Mothma wasn't much better, so... That's true, and I, I don't I don't question the outfit so much, but so so uh, now back to combining our stories a little bit. We had a uh, you know Ray Ray and uh, Ben get you know get together. She she surrenders herself. To, you know, very reminiscent of Luke surrendering himself to Vader mm-hmm. and being brought to the Emperor. So for that reason, and with all the talk they had of you're going to turn at the key moment, you're going to turn at the key moment, I do think it was a little predictable, and I think intentionally predictable, that Ben was going to turn on uh, Snow. Yes. Uh, and I, I don't have any problem with that. I, I liked the way that scene played out. I liked the way they kind of came together and then separated again yep. from a uh, philosophical point of view. Yeah. And I thought that was all good. I thought the well, action sequences were... The The only problem I have with the action sequence is that it was reminiscent to me of a Bruce Lee movie. Yeah. Where you're fighting a hundred people and they decide to come at you one at a time. Yes, or maybe two at a time sometimes, but yes. Uh, yeah, I agree with you on that. Um, and I think... I, I'm 
I mean, I know Ray's trained a little bit with the sword, but I her swordsmanship skills to be far, far outstrip her training. Well, I guess I mean the only explanation for we, we have for that is that the force has provided her skills beyond her training. Okay, I'll go with that. Uh, you know, I, I think you know when, especially when we've seen the CGI heavy prequels uh-huh. and some of the battle scenes in that, and how quickly they move. Now, understanding that these people do have training, yeah. but uh, they're clearly moving on an instinctual level at that point, or you know, a force guided level. That's you know, the brain just can't work as fast as no. they were moving. But the uh, the throne room scene, as you say, I I think. I don't think the, the the Snoke thing needed to be much of a shocker as much as it was because the, you know thematically it was complex and and the interesting thing there was obviously that Kylo Ren was now faced with a choice he could either undo the evil or he could take over the evil and he decided yes. to take over the evil when Ray thought she was fighting for him to undo the evil. Mm-hmm. So I yeah I I, yeah. I I like the scene for that dynamic. A lot of people love it for the the lightsaber aspect. But I really like I said I'm I'm a big fan of the uh, the thematic elements of it. The surprise to me, and it led to that thematic element, was that Snoke was dead at the end of the scene. I yeah. expected Kylo to turn on him. I didn't expect him to kill him. I thought we were going to have more Snoke. Well, I thought we were going to eventually get a background story. I don't know that we Snoke. needed a background story on Snoke. You know, it's funny because in this day and age, we always, if we want to complain about something, we complain about the background story. Um, and, and the, well, I'd like to know who well, he was. I mean, what about Oddjob? To me, Oddjob didn't need a background Oddjob, story. About, so, but but Snoke, Snoke took took over the First Order. I mean, he, he clearly had uh, Emperor-like skills. Story. The man kills no. people by throwing a hat. Wouldn't you like to know how that comes about? Well, you know, what about Jaws? Is, there, is, it, is, is it Jaws? What about Jaws? Sharks background? No, 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 no. Jaws. We're still guy. talking James yeah. Bond. There, there is an element with certain villains. What about Blofeld? Some, we don't really. We never find out Blofeld's background. Well, we do a little bit in uh, Spectre, well, but that's yeah. Point. More um, and and I and you know what. That's an example of why we don't to be <laughs> frank with you. Because sometimes by removing that mystery, you take away some of the air of of just cool that some of these villains yeah. have. So I agree with you that, but I, I would I don't necessarily need his whole background. I don't need to see a trilogy of Snoke's background. Uh-huh. But I would just like a little explanation of where he came from and how he came to power. Um, I understand, like I said, the story group was never it wasn't like the Ray thing where they were always, oh, what about Ray's parents? So the story group all pretty much always went, you know, Snoke is just Snoke. Don't worry about it. Yeah, and, and that's what that's the way it played out. Mm. But, uh, you know, there was the uh, the thought that he was, you know, he's Darth Plagueis and whatever. But, you know, I, w- I would have been just curious. It's not, It's again, not a deal breaker. Yeah, my understanding is he was a backroom-dealing politician and the Republic, and he backroom-dealt himself into this First Order thing. Mm-hmm. And, and we'll move on from that with that as the explanation because that's all we're going to yeah. get unless they do it in the comics maybe and they could they could that's that's the beauty of the whole expanded universe thing yep or is that is that, so, is that a bad term to use now not for okay. me I'm, I'm not as vested in the uh, the uh, you know the background stuff as you are oh. and, uh, and I, I know you were very upset when they did away with most of that um, in canon I was upset it, well, let me just say this. I was very well aware that 75 to 80% of it was crap. 
And I also said the day that Disney bought Lucasfilm, I told everybody because we were sitting at a table in Denny's. I remember going on a Two True Freaks roundtable on my iPad from Denny's uh, as we were actually getting ready to start doing what would come to be known as Dinner for Geeks. Um, I remember saying at the time, you can say goodbye to the EU. It's gone. Because they weren't, I knew that if they're going to set stories 30 years in the future, they're not going to want to be bound by all that storytelling. They're not going to have to explain to a mainstream audience all the various things that have happened to these characters over the years. Uh, yeah. So no, I, I agree with you. Logistically, from a business point yeah. of view, it made sense to get rid of it. I just, I just know a lot of people who spent many, many hours reading yeah. these materials were upset yeah. by the fact that hey, they don't count anymore. And again, a lot of it was terrible. But the truth is, you know, you would like to see. Uh, a, a universe that has been architected to the degree that they did, you'd like to see them finish it off. Well, I think they're free to cherry-pick the stuff that they think is really good and pull that back into the universe. Yeah, and sometimes, unfortunately, they're still cherry-picking things that are really bad. So, <laughs> <laughs> You know, moving along in the movie, past that scene now, we get to the final confrontation. Uh, one of the things about that is, with Snoke having, getting, having been disposed of as he was... Uh, at that point, to me, it felt like, okay, all bets are off. Any character's death is on the table. Yeah, which is I great. I actually felt that way. Yes. Uh, when when uh, when Finn was heading towards the gun, I thought, that's it, okay, we, we are going to lose Finn now. And why not? <laughs> well, I, I think he's an okay character. He's an okay character. I, just like, I mean, what was he doing in this movie? Not much. Okay, fine, kill him. Yeah. But uh, you know, there, and there were there were a couple of points where I thought we might lose somebody, and and I think, you know, that's good drama. That's, that's I think was, that's raising the well, stakes. It was also character growth for Finn in that he was willing to sacrifice himself, as opposed to running away, yeah. which is earlier in the yeah. movie. So yeah, I, I do think you know he had a little bit of an arc in there. So that's that's a positive, and that's why you don't kill him because he had an arc. Oh. Uh, <laughs> although he completed his arc, so you yeah, could exactly. Kill him. I mean, to me, his arc would have been. <laughs> The only thing that would have been better was that, because, you know, he's a former stormtrooper. As he's flying straight into that beam, he could have said, Okay, boys, I'm back! Yes, that's that, that's it. We have a callback to one of the more reviled movies <laughs> of our time, even though I enjoy it. <laughs> and if you don't know what movie that's from, hey, figure it out. Just look up Randy Quaid. Uh, yeah, just look up Randy Quaid, that's it. So, uh, again, once we got to the point, I, I said, okay, here comes Luke. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think it was, you know, it was very obvious that that was going to happen right then, that he was going to show up. But he showed up in a way that I did not expect. Well, he showed up in a way, his, his beard was darker. <laughs> his mm-hmm. hair was yeah, darker. he looked a little bit like a younger What Luke. he looked like was Luke in the flashback sequences. You know, yes. they have the flashback to the temple sequences. And he looked like that Luke. And I, when I saw that, I said, oh, that's not good, because that ain't Luke. And then, Okay, I did not say and that. And then, when you go out to the surface of Crate, and Crate, of course, is this planet of these red crystals covered with salt, and you see him and Kylo Ren begin to square off against each other, one thing I will point out to you is they go to great lengths to show Kylo Ren feet on the salt mm-hmm. and they show several cuts of Kylo Ren's feet moving the salt, disturbing the salt uncovering the the surface of the planet beneath the salt 
they do not ever once show Luke's feet on that salt having any effect on the salt. Yeah, no, and and that was something that was lost on me at the time. And what, I did I didn't notice Kylo's feet. It seems disturbing the salt. Yeah. I did not notice that Luke's was. Well, it seems so obvious that they were showing his feet doing that that I thought to myself, "There's got to be a reason for that." So then I started looking. No, yeah. Luke's feet started disturbing. And I just went, you know what? Between the beard, the short hair, and not disturbing the salt, I, this is not Luke. Yes, it took it took the uh, barrage of weaponry for me to realize that. <laughs> like when when they fired everything they had on him. And he was still standing there. Come and he walked out of the, you know, the smoke cloud. Uh, you know, that's when I realized, okay, you know, that if if it's going to be that he somehow deflected all of that with the force, that's a bridge too far. Really, would that have been a bridge too far for you? For me, because for me, I, I would have been okay with it. I would have been okay with that. It did. It did not seem. If if you're going to do that, I think you need to show him doing it somehow. Or you know, something you gotta, you, uh-huh. just you know they did that and he, and he he just walked out unscathed. I don't know. It just seemed a bit much. I thought it was a better visual to have them bury him under a cloud and then have him come out unscathed. I would have been okay at that. Well, point. especially with the way the story played out, that it wasn't he wasn't really well, there. Yeah. But if he if he was physically there and he was using his lightsaber to knock away all these blasts, well, you don't have to use your lightsaber. That's the thing. I mean, Vader didn't use his lightsaber in Empire Strikes Back. He just held his hand up. That's when Kylo Ren stopped, stopped the, the shot in midair yeah. and held it there. So yeah, okay. So maybe maybe, maybe it wouldn't have been a, a bridge too hard, but it felt to me like it would have been. So I at, at that point, at least from in my mind, I said something else is up here. This, you know. Yeah, but you, and and you know, a lot of this does come to you know we can point to examples of previous things happening, but a lot of when you talk about swallowing things and credibility and believability, a lot of it comes to, down to believability in the moment. Mm-hmm. And you can build a case for something, but if, if it doesn't strike you as legit right then, then you're still going to have trouble selling it to an audience. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think you know he was playing on uh, Kylo's <clears throat> obsession at that yes. point, and and well played. If you ask yes. me. you know he he uh, he distracted him from everybody else, let them all escape. You know, because because Kylo. Aimed all of their firepower on him. Yep. Now I will also you know, say it, it was almost almost a little bit of a con moment. Yes, I, I will though. However, say I didn't like the fact that they kind of emasculated General Hux. I mean, Hux had, you know, a a. There's a reason why Hux is a young guy in charge of the First Order's military. And well. All of a sudden, he's this bumbling stooge. Yeah, I, I think, I think emasculating him was okay because he doesn't have the physical ability to stand up to uh, Kylo. Mm-hmm. But I do think, if you have more time, and maybe in the next movie, they may be able to do something where he's manipulating things behind the scenes. Oh, I just realized something. I just noticed something. Here, let What's me just that? fresh analysis for you here. You know, I, I mentioned earlier the feet thing. They made a specific point of showing Kylo's feet disturbing the salt. Mm-hmm. Right after that, they actually show a close-up of Luke's feet not disturbing the salt. It, it was lost. On He's you, doing right? the exact same move almost. Kylo 
uh, right before they do their first charge at each other, they show a close-up of Kylo's foot moving the salt. And then they charge at each other, so they've switched places. Now Luke is where Kylo was, and then he drags his foot, and there's no effect on the salt whatsoever. Okay, yeah. And they've said they were giving it to you all up yep. front, but I was, I was oblivious. <laughs> well, you gotta Which is not, not a unique way for me to be. <laughs> I just found that interesting. I'm just looking through it right now. I'm watching the movie as we, as we do this. And then, so then, you know, that scene plays out as it does. Yep. And we lose Luke at the end of it. Yep. Now, question, because we talked about this in the car driving back last night. Did we lose Luke... And that's it. He's 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 done, or is he a force ghost in the next? Oh, week? I mean, he disappeared. He's a force ghost. So you you well from a narrative point of view, do you think we're going to see him again? Uh, I hope so. I really do. I mean, I think he's. I think his his character has something to say, and I think you know, there's a lot of talk of, and I didn't go back and recount this, but there's a lot of talk of how he said he was going to teach Ray three lessons, and he only taught her two. Uh, right. I think I think that one more lesson maybe maybe coming next movie. I, I would like to see that too because I don't want to see them totally cut ties with the past trio. Yeah, and obviously Han is already gone. Yeah, and Leah can't be back, and yep. they, they've clearly said they are not going to CGI her and have her back. Which, in any which way, I don't right? know why not. I mean, really, just just do it. Well, they, but whatever for whatever reason, and it might have something to do with her estate's views on it. Uh, they've said they're not going to. I think that's so. I, I really do. So I think they need to give an explanation as to where she is. Uh, you know, if they want to say she's moved on or whatever, you know, that's fine. But you know, th- I think they just have to write her out somehow, and then maybe include Luke in there. You know, it almost wouldn't be bad if you did write her out, and then you could CGI her in as a Force Ghost with Luke. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, if, if it's a well-written scene, you know, it's. I'm just giving you know the bare, bare bones of a thought there, but. You know, you, you could potentially bring her back that way, but uh, you know, at least at this time, they've expressed that that is not their intention. Yeah, but I would like to see him there because I would like to always have that little <coughs> bit of a tether to the original. Trailer. I agree. I agree. So we could, again, as I said a couple of times, we could go on for hours and hours on this. Absolutely, we could. but and I just want actually, I want to hit on one more thing before we uh, before we get to our ratings. Okay. And that would be, what do you think of John Williams in this one? Uh, I was surprised at how little new John Williams we got. I mean, he did a lot of callback, and, and honestly, the callbacks would always get people going. It's kind of the rousing part of the score. It was like, oh, and he did some really, you know, he did a piece that they used to call the asteroid, or they used to call uh, the TIE Fighter attack, and now they call it Here They Come. Brought that back from episode four. Which I thought was great, but uh, I didn't. You know, I've listened to the album a couple of times, and I'm just I'm not hearing a lot of great new stuff out of him this time around, which I, I was surprised. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, you know I am not always totally cognizant of scores. In fact, I feel like unless you're purposely trying to pay attention to them, if you're really noticing it on a first viewing of a movie, mm-hmm. it's probably not doing its job because it's probably a little overly obtrusive. Uh, but when I did notice in this, when I did notice it in this, it was always a callback. Yeah. I did not notice anything <clears throat> new. And I think callbacks you're going to notice just because it's the familiar, sure. familiarity level of it. You know, when we get a Princess Leia theme or when yeah. we get the, the Tatooine music or, you know, all that, uh, you know, you, you're going to hear that and say, oh, yeah, I know that. And I, I do think there's a purpose to that. Uh, I thought it was fine. 
But like you say, I don't think it, it gave you anything really new, unless you want to listen to the Star Wars greatest hits. Uh, I don't know that you're gonna pop this one in to listen to necessarily so much. Yeah, no, I don't know. I mean, I've listened to it a few times now, and I don't. I just don't. It's not. It's not the one. I'll just say that. It's not okay. as good as Force Awakens, which I was not in love with, but it's it's not as. And Force Awakens had a variety of new themes, and I'm just not. I wasn't hearing those other than, well, again, I heard the callbacks from Episode Seven. You know, I heard Force Awakens callbacks, but uh, Kylo Ren's theme and Ray's theme and Scavenger, mm-hmm. and you know, but new themes, I wasn't really hearing them. Yeah, I agree. So that said. And I don't think we're going to talk about the box office here because I think, first of all, it's premature. The movie's still out. Yep. And second of all, I don't think, you know, the the, uh, the studio may look at that as being the key to the movie, but I don't think we should. No, I agree. Uh, so so let's get on to the Jaws scale, which, very quickly for you all, uh, Jaws, an all-time classic, great movie, very few flaws, if any. Jaws 2, very, very solid movie, worthy of re-watches, but not quite to that classic level. Jaws 3, decent movie, entertaining, but nothing special at all. And Jaws 4 is a bit. <laughs> where do you where do you place this on the Jaws? I game? think this is uh, like a Jaws 1.5. Jaws, not quite Jaws 2. I think it's a, a level above Jaws 2, but not quite a Jaws. It's not Jaws. Uh, it's not a movie that I'm going to, I think, ever fully love every moment of, like I do Jaws. Um... But I, it's a movie that probably in 10 years we're going to be having a lot of conversation about still. And for that, I think it deserves some extra points. Yeah, I, I'm pretty much in agreement with you. Uh, I see it as a high Jaws 2. It is not a classic. There are some things in there, and I think as I as I look at it more closely, you know, my, my opinion will solidify a little bit. I... I don't know if it could go much higher, because I don't think we're going to ever hit the point where I'm going to say this is an all-time classic. Yeah. Uh, but it's right now, as far as my opinion goes, I think it is going to be a movie that I'm going to have an easy time doing rewatches on it, and I found it to be very, very entertaining when I watched it for the first time last yeah, night. Yeah, well, that's significant. So I'm giving it a high jaws too at this moment. Yeah. Okay. And that's it, Scott. I want to thank you for uh, coming on. Uh, you've already mentioned your, uh, your your commentary that's going to be coming out, which if people look to the Is It Yours Facebook page, you can find a link for that. And uh, I, I know I'm going to listen to it, so I would obviously recommend it. Awesome. And uh, just to pull the curtain back a little bit, Scott and I had hopes this morning of having time to do this and to do a look back on The Force Awakens. Uh, so I'm going to put you on the spot and say that I do want to do that okay. episode just not yet. So that'll be coming in the coming months. I'm game. All right, and then, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll start going back and looking at the originals. I'll have time. <laughs> there you go. So thanks for coming on with me. And I appreciate it and uh, uh, look forward to talking to you again soon.